श्रीमन महाप्रभु की जय श्री हरिनाम संकीर्तन की जय घोर भक्त वृंद की जय गौर प्रमानंद हरिओ सो गुड मॉर्निंग टू ऑल ऑफ यू फ्रॉम रैली हियर इन नॉर्थ कैरोलिना now we are continuing with our series of lectures about um vaishnava etiquette hmm? today we are in our meeting number 9 so hmm? our ninth meeting and uh, we will be continuing hmm, with our study of the concept of sadaka deha the context of vaishnava etiquette for sure So today is our second meeting where we will be speaking about how to properly hmm, honor the fact that we have received such a gift hmm, called sadaka deha and how that it plays out in in the context of Vaishnava decorum. Hmm. So let's make some brief recap as usual of what we were studying our last um, Friday this in this case last week. Where we began sharing some ideas, discussing about the concept of the very concept of sadaka deha, and we introduce our topic by re- reminding ourselves about the fact that Vaishnava etiquette deals in itself with, uh, or teaches, instructs us about how to deal not only with sacred personalities, hmm, sacred people, if you will, Sri Guru. Hmm, and the Vaishnavas but also with sacred items or paraphernalia if you want to use that term like the body if you will in this case so sadaka deha actually is connected to both ideas sacred items sacred people because we have received such a gift from very sacred personalities sri guru and the item in itself is a sacred one coming from such hands so we are to delve with it uh, in a proper way so we share some ideas in order to understand what is sadaka deha we also of course first we need to understand what's a sadaka so as we mentioned sadaka means someone committed to sadhana as much as we are committed to such an ideal we can consider ourselves sadakas and a sadaka is someone in between body jiva condition soul and a siddha a perfected enlightened being we gave the example of law being lost being found and being at home respectively body jiva referring to lost soul wandering in samsara sadaka being found one found soul who has not reached home yet but has been found by the interception of divine uh descent if you will and siddha of course refers to someone who has reached home if you will so even even though sadhana sai sadaka has not reached home yet it's already a glorious uh if you will a glorious journey back home in the words of sila prabhupada back to godhead so it's a very glorious a special unique um chapter of our anadi existence for our beginningless uh, sojourn in this 
material influence. Now we are having been rescued and we are being taken back home, if you will. So a sadhak is someone who is really, as much as one becomes aware of the glory of being a sadhak, if you will, and of the reach and depth of, of the gift of how the divine is extending itself to us through sadhu sangha and, and allowing us the opportunity for bhakti, as much as all those things, we are aware of those, naturally we will try to take advantage of the opportunity. And as, in this way, as much as we do that, we can speak in terms of being a sadhaka. As much as I engage in sadhana, I can speak in terms of being a sadhaka. And sadhana, as we also mentioned, has to do with exclusively contacting the sense objects with our senses, with our body, solely contacting the sense objects only for the pleasure of Bhagavan. That's the very principle of being a sadhaka. I will contact sense objects for the pleasure of Bhagavan exclusively. And in this way I will be, if you will, pouring, as Mankur will say, pouring bhakti samskars on our sadhaka deha, further purifying, spiritualizing such a body. The pores of the sadhaka deha will be pouring bhakti samskars by interacting with sense objects, with the senses of our sadhaka deha in the context of bhakti. Not in the context of bhukti, exploitation, not in the context of dry dismissal, or mukti, or jnan, or tyag, nor bhog, but bhakti. So again, being a sadhaka is glorious, even though with all its ups and downs, there are glorious ups and downs, we share this conception of charming disaster in that context. <laughs> It may it may have some embarrassing moments, but since the context is so glorious, even that uh, embarrassing chapters will be will be charming eventually. Will result charming for Krishna himself. To say in the scripture that Krishna himself becomes uh, astonished by seeing the sincere force of his this devotees, and, and we may of course include sadakas there. So to be a sadhaka and from sadhaka to become a siddha, all this is a gradual process, lots of shades of grey in between. So it's a gradual transubstantiation, if you will, from matter to spirit. Which we quoted some words from Vishwanachakravarti Thakur, where he explained how it's not that the sadhaka deha is fully nirguna, fully transcendental to the modes of nature. So there is some gunamai section, some section is still affected by the gunas as much as we, again, do not interact with the sense objects in the context of bhakti. But as much as we do so, by the grace of bhakti herself, we can speak of our sadhakadeha in terms of nirguna. And of course, eventually, when all those things are fully in place and we have done our homework, the sadhakadeha, of course, is said to have the potential of becoming 108% spiritualized, 108% Worshipable, and that's what we see sometimes when the body of pure devotees are put into samadhi. I will share some examples of how Mahaprabhu related to Sanatan Goswami in connection to his Sarakadeha, uh, to Haridas Thakur in connection to his departure from this world, and how he worshiped such those bodies, and how he expressed basically the potential that the Sarakadeha has to become fully worshipable for Bhagavan himself. So in this connection, having this in mind, of course, we, we should speak in terms of I am this body. 
not only we are not this body, of course on some level that's totally necessary to understand. We are not this body, but by this we refer to a separate selfish conception of the body, but we actually are our sadhaka deha. As much as we are able to identify ourselves with such gift, eventually that will give rise to a sita deha, and that will constitute our eternal, ultimate spiritual identity. Also, we mentioned this important point, I consider at least, that the sadhaka deha is not ours, even though we may speak in terms of my body, my sadhaka deha, etc. Strictly speaking, as we say, sadhaka deha is a gift bestowed by Sri Guru in the moment of initiation. And, uh, and it's not a gift that belongs to us. Generally, we think in those terms when someone give, gives us a, a gift, oh, it's mine now. I can do with that whatever I want, however I like, it's for me, it's in my service, and so on. But in this case, this gift belongs to Sri Guru, belongs to the Swarup Shakti domain, and it's putting under our care, if you will. But it's a gift, it's an extension of grace, costless grace, so it's a gift, we cannot deny that. But the point is, how will you take care of something that do not belong to you, but at the same time is the highest possible gift you could have, you could have received? So you, sh- you will really... Take care of that in the best possible way. You will use it in, in the proper directions. And that's expected from us as sadhakas. We should conduct ourselves in, in this sadhaka deha with that awareness. And trying to take care of Sri Guru's gift of Krishna's mercy through sadhu sangha. And understand, these type of gifts are really can never belong to us. Real gifts, we made that point, can never belong to us. But actually we belong to them. Those gifts are of such quality, mm, such substance is there, that we are to belong to those gifts. We are to belong to Krishna's grace. We are to belong to the sadhu. We are to belong to those who are extending those gifts into our life. So it's a gradual process of up- upgrading and changing the way we'll think and look at things in terms of controlling, exploiting, mm, belonging to me, and putting it upwards, mm, the opposite direction. Instead of thinking what does belong to me, thinking what who, who I belong to, basically. So those were some of the ideas we shared in our previous lecture as a brief recap that I think it's important to have in place and continue ruminating on. And uh, so that was more of an introduction, actually, to the concept of Sadaka Deha, but I think it's crucial to have that type of Sambanda or orientation, knowing how to relate with it. So whenever we hear some practical advice about how to relate to the Sarakadeha, we we will understand them in better context. So today we we will be sharing some more practical tips, if you will, after having established on one level at least the the glory, the ontology, if you will, of the body that is accompanying us, the sacred one. So we will start sharing, again, certain type of important, I think, advice about how to take care mm, from this body, mm, how to take, how to properly honor mm, this gift. All this in the context of a daily, if you will, schedule of a devotee, mm, starting with the waking up mm, and all the things that come after waking up, like having a bath and putting tilak and certain purification and other topics in connection to how the day of a devotee is conducted. Of course, I will share some very general idea. Every, the day of the devotee is not the same. Every devotee is different. 
and the timings of each one's life are totally different, but I will share some basic general uh, recommended points to consider and each one of us will have to adjust that according to each one's Deshakala Patra, time, place, circumstance. Also something that I would like to clarify in advance is that many of these considerations are actually not necessarily in nirgun in, the, in themselves, they are not fully transcendental in one point, but maybe more connected to a sattvic lifestyle that will create the proper um, uh, departure platform, if you will, like a plane flying for towards transcendence. So we, as we know, in some cases we need to be sattvic, we need to overcome hmm, rajas and tamas, the lower modes, and from sattva have a clearer understanding, a more balanced perspective of life, and from that being more whole as humans even, we may be better equipped in, in order to pursue transcendence. So some of those of these items are in that level, if you will, just not to over-absolutize uh, them and make them fully transcendental in every sense of the term necessarily, because it's not that so. Not necessarily this is Swarupsida Bhakti, inherently devotional practices, but lifestyles, uh, uh, habits and recommendations for our lifestyle that will, if properly understood and embraced, will foster mm, a healthy devotional culture. And many of these rules, as you will see, or rules or advices, whatever you may like to call them, are revolve around the concept of cleanliness, mm, hand, go hand by hand with purity, which is one of the four of, you know, pillars of dharmas, the Bhagavad presents them, sometimes also referred to as the four regulative principles, which actually when we say no meat eating or no whatever, intoxication, actually what we are saying is yes to something. When, when you pronounce the four regulative principles, it's not so much about not doing something, but about doing something. And in order of doing something, I will avoid those things that will go against that. So when we speak about no meat eating or not illicit sex or no <laughs> intoxication or no gambling, actually we have to go to the very gist behind that, the principle behind that, which is culture, the, the positive attributes such as austerity, mercy, cleanliness, and so on, and uh, truthfulness in this case, which again, have those practices that we avoid to engage in may help, but that's not the only in all. It's not that because I'm not gambling, I'm fully truthful. I mean, I may not go to the casino, <laughs> but I may lie in some other way. So the point is, try to go beyond the very... I can be vegan, vegetarian, and only eat pran, and I can maybe not be necessarily fully merciful. Mm. So we should go to the really idea of these practices. Mm. So in this case, we will see that lots of emphasis has to do with this idea of cleanliness, purity on a physical level, and, and that's going up, up in more subtle realms. But generally, we need to establish certain level of sattva in our daily habits, again, to create a better, as I said, platform towards transcendence. So I will share some ideas. I will share what the Shastra says about this, the ideal standard for doing certain things. And again, the ideal standard is not necessarily uh, sustainable for everyone. 
but we can make adjustments in order to gradually get closer mm, to a better um, embrace of each of these practices. Mm. So let's begin with the very first thing we will do when our day begins, which is waking up. And in connection to waking up, it has to do with sleeping. No? Because if you wake up, it means you were sleeping. So let's share some ideas regarding uh, our daily resting in this connection. And again, bear in mind all this in the context of Sarakateha, all this in the context of trying to take care of that gift, trying to take the best possible advantage in the context of Bhakti. Here is Here we are not presenting any out-of-date paranoia from ancient times, which has no application to our modern uh, day. It has to do with really intuitive and commonsensical uh, considerations to properly honor this sacred gift. So let's speak about sleeping, if you will, and our waking up and so on. So of course our day, as I mentioned, starts with waking up, but of course that will depend how do I wake up and, and, and how to wake up ideally in the best possible way and mood and timing. All that will depend on how did I sleep in the night. Mm -hmm. And what did I do the, the previous night, if you will? Mm -hmm. So let's make that clear first, if you will, before starting speaking about what to do when you wake up. We could say what to do before you go to bed. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you can wake up in the best possible way, because everything is really connected. At least for most of us, we are not just fully Paramahamsas, Abadudes, that can go to bed at any time and wake up at any time, and we are totally uh, beyond the gunas. So we should consider these influences. So the idea is to wake up in the best possible way. Ideally, we should have rested in the best possible way the, the night before. And in that connection, in order to consider that, I mean, there are some things that we may mention. For example, try not to have a very heavy dinner. And again, all this is totally adjustable in the sense that I know that for some devotees, according to their dynamics in, at work, their main meal would be dinner. In my personal case, I do not have dinner at all, but because I have another timings. So, but again, I'm sharing some idea, and from that each one will make the proper adjustment according to their case. But ideally, if you can choose and you can organize your day, try not to have a very powerful, heavy dinner at night, because at that time the digestive fire is not very active, so you won't be able to fully digest that, and if you go to bed with your stomach still full, that won't be very becoming for your resting. And sometimes they have this saying that says something like, you should like have breakfast like a prince, you should have lunch as a, as a king, and you should uh, have dinner as a beggar. Mm. So ideally, that's a, the point. No? You, you can have some breakfast, of course, but at that time still the digestive fire is not that powerful. But midday, when the sun is right on top, that's a moment where the digestive fire is more uh, active and, and a able to digest. So ideally those things help to regulate our daily stance. It's not just that I eat whatever I want, whenever I want, and it doesn't affect me, and I do what I want. It's, it's, it doesn't work like that, as you can see. So on one side this, try to, as much as you can, adjust the amount of Prashadam you honor at night. Of course, needless to say, if you can adjust this, try not to go to bed too late. 
that's also another point. Mm. Uh, we know that according to the gunas, we, we have to speak about the gunas, and the gunas are presiding on different moments of the day. So sattva has m mainly to do with the morning, rajas with the day, and tamas with the night. Mm. So in tamas we go to sleep, which has to do with tamas, basically, inertia, if you will. Mm. So the night is mainly designed for sleeping, again. If some has some exception because of work or something, you have to be awake at that time, that's another thing. But the general advice is this, try not to go to bed too, too late. Even if to say that in Ayurveda and other considerations that before midnight, if you go to sleep before, before midnight, each hour, each hour uh, is like two hours, if you will. If you sleep from 9 to 10, from 10 to 11, that hour actually is like two. So you can have better rest, that's my point. And, and I think you have the experience. If you go to bed and, at 2 in the morning, if you will, even though you have slept like for 12 hours, you will feel I have not rested that well as if you go to bed, I don't know, at 9, 10, and wake up after, I don't know, 7, 8 hours, you will feel like I rested better. Even though in, quality, in quantity was less hours, in quality it was, it was much better. So we are speaking about here also, the quality of the time, not only the quantity. So, as much as we can, again, we should make some adjustments in that connection. And, of course, each case is uh, specific about how much to sleep. Beyond the quality, let's speak about quantity, some devotees may need according to their particular mm, bodily features and whatever necessities in health to sleep less, to sleep more, than others, so we, we are not here to compare with each other and establish some universal standard on how to sleep. Of course, there is some, I think, common sense about, I mean, I don't think that it's healthy to sleep 14 hours per day for anyone, <laughs> at least some extreme exception to a rule, but generally, someone may need to sleep a little less or more than any other. We cannot imitate the Goswamis and just sleep whenever we, we are reminded that there is something called sleep. Mm. or sleep just one, two, three hours per day. Anyway, each one has to to pay attention to, to one's body, if you will. Mm. Krishna the Gita is saying, one should not sleep too much, nor too less. One should not eat too much, nor too less. Everything is about being regulated, being balanced, being sattvic. Sattva means finding that middle point, which is sometimes not so easy. But the point is, too much sleep, mm brings laziness. Too little sleep brings laziness. Try to get the point. We are speaking about two ex different extremes, but the end result of both is the same. If you sleep too little, it's laziness in the way that you will be falling asleep along the day. And you sleep too much, that brings drowsiness and, and laziness in another form maybe, but it's laziness in the same way. Some type of disturbance. The same if you eat too much or too little, Again, the extremes are not, not ever recommended. In the middle point is when we really learn. And we really are balanced to really take advantage of whatever is happening. Also, if you can, the recommendation is given that you may sleep towards pointing towards the east, which is the cardinal, I think you say in English, the cardinal point, the direction where the sun is rising, the east. Sometimes poetically described as the direction of the gods, where many things come from the east, as you know. <laughs> so if you can organize your 
your bedroom to, to sleep in one particular direction. I, I won't enter in, I won't go neurotic and throw you in a frenzy regarding Bastu and, and how to design your house. <laughs> but if you can make some arrangement, the East is the most recommended direction for subtle reasons that when you sleep, you will have a better resting again. Or if you cannot sleep in that direction, you can, the second, if you will recommend the direction is the South. So generally one can fix <clears throat> one direction or the other. At least they say not so recommended to sleep towards the west or towards the north. Again, some adjustments. Do not go neurotic with this thinking that you will be thrown to Patala Loka if you are sleeping in, into the wrong direction or something like that. Another um, health recommendation, if you will, given in the context of sleeping is not to sleep... Um, how to say facing down? I don't know how to say this in English. Now with your face down to the to the bed, mm -hmm. that's not that recommended because of many reasons. Because of pressing your body in a not very um, healthy way, because of not having proper air mm, to to breathe and so on. So ideally, you should sleep like looking up or on one side to the other, whatever. Again, I don't want to control your life to the utmost details and, and which is the direction you are sleeping. <laughs> but but basically, those advices are there. And, and of course, if you play them, them them out, you realize, oh, they are working. I mean, it, there is a purpose to this. This is some science to it. Coming, of course, from revealed literature. So there is a science to it as well. What else? Well, before going to sleep... At least personally, I will recommend also you know, these crucial moments when your day is beginning or where your day is finishing. The day is finishing, but you are starting entering to another chapter when you go to the oniric realm, to the realm of dreams. So it's nice that you may try to close the day, trying to invoke, if you will, some specific bhakti, some scars that may join us, if you will, be accompany us during our dreamlike state. Of course, you cannot fully control that, so many things happening in the unconscious and so on, but one can try to do one's best in order to get closer to auspicious influences during that moment. For example, Srila Prabhupada said once that it's, it's recommended that before you go to sleep, when you are already maybe in bed and you have some minutes before falling asleep, you can meditate <clears throat> and reflect about all your day, like 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 an introspective moment about how you were how you dealt with your day, and trying to learn from that, not just allowing the day to pass without reflecting back on it. We were speaking the other day here with one of the devotees about that. No, I was asking her, so which what what which what made your day worth living today? Because if you just go to sleep another day, go to sleep another day, and do not stop to really think. Okay, which was the purpose of this day? What what did I receive today? And so on. So it's a nice moment before going to sleep for a while, for some minutes to reflect on how uh, we conducted ourselves on that particular day. Learning whatever has to be learned, being grateful about whatever has to be grateful, and continuing to the next day, if Krishna wants so, of course. <laughs> Also, one can pray. I like to do that also when I'm going to sleep and, and try to pray in the sense of, okay, 
as Prahlad Maharaj will say to to his uh, child school mates, he will say, well, a human being is almost spending uh, at least a third of, of their life sleeping. Let's say that approximately human being sleeps eight hours, some sleep less or more, but let's put this eight as an average. That's one third of your day. So if you multiply that, that's one third of your life, basically. So we spend considerable time in that realm. So it's nice that at least we can take some advantage there because we, we are still alive. It's not that we are dead <laughs> or nothing is going on. So we, we, we may pray before going to sleep to Bhagavan. Please bless me that now I'm entering into the realm of the unconscious. For sure many impulses will activate that are beyond my present awareness. So bless me and give me shelter and give me guidance so I may continue rendering seva to you, to the Vaishnavs while while sleeping, because I'm still alive, I may travel who knows where, so let my mind, let my subtle body, let my whole being travel in the proper direction during this time, and hopefully acquire further some scars, and even I, I, I may uh, transcend or work on certain issues that I may not be aware while being awake, but while entering into that realm, whatever has to happen. I mean, not, not in a neurotic way and trying to control the whole situation, but it's, I think, a nice way of really doing that with awareness and that will create some impact on how we pass our night. Sometimes the devotees also choose to have some background music along the whole night. When I say background music, in this case, I may refer to, for example, some soft japa of one's guru or some acharya chanting japa or some transcendental sound vibrating in the background. It depends if that helps you. I've tried once to put Harikata from the background during night, but it didn't work for me because I was not able to go to sleep. <laughs> and I became more aware about what was being said. And maybe I was going to sleep, but I woke up in the middle of the night and someone was giving Harikata. And I, I was not able to sleep, basically, not too much. So each case will depend. You find your, your better, your best formula, if you will. But it's interesting because sleeping is entering into the realm again of the subconscious. And in that realm we absorb many things that we may not be able to absorb from the conscious side. So we can invoke some prayer before going to sleep to be blessed in that direction. And of course, needless to say, trying to go to the updated version of Vaishnava etiquette in our modern technological times, hopefully, at least hopefully, the last thing you do before going to sleep is not checking your cell phone, nor the first thing you do when you woke up is checking your cell phone. And I, it sounds simple, but <laughs> I have to say that because I know that that's the standard in, for most people, and maybe for most devotees, I don't know. I'm not sleeping close to any most of you, but I, I, I live in community and I, and I sleep in one room with many other people on many occasions, and I see that in some cases that's the case. And of course, you may say, yes, Maharaj, but I'm checking, I'm reading something. Okay, I mean, it's your sincerity, of course, but try to understand my point. <laughs> Sometimes it's, it goes beyond that. And we may just develop this type of uh, addiction, if you will, or, or habit that, that as, as we mentioned, some scars create habits, habits creates personality and its whole sense of being. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to, the first thing I do, the last thing I do is not 
being with the cell phone, but maybe praying, offering pranam to Guru and Vaishnavas, glorifying them, being thankful for that day that is finishing, for that day that is starting, whatever. I don't need the cell phone for that. <laughs> so that's on one side. Uh, from another point of view, I, I think you may know this, but generally it is mentioned and the, the clothes we use for sleeping, the word that it's generally used is gets contaminated. I know that this word contamination is <laughs> a little bit awkward for some, but the point is that it's understandable, I think. Now, if you are eight hours in bed sleeping with a particular clothes, ideally, the idea is that those clothes are not being used for the rest of the day. They carry certain um, tomastic influence because of just because of being in sleeping. You can realize that. Hmm? So, ideally, one should uh, change clothes when one is waking up. And, of course, we will mention also having bath and some other things, ideally. But ideally, you should have some clothes that you use for, for sleeping or if you are using one clothes, like in my case, that I don't have too much of a closet, but I always using the same clothes. <laughs> so whenever I, I use this particular clothes of the day, dhoti, kurta, in the night I'm going to sleep, I will sleep with that dhoti, kurta, uh, and I will put new ones the next day and so on. So Something like this. Again, advice is to try to remain as sattvic as possible. Hmm? as free of Rajas and Tamas as possible in every single sense, and in this way being more able to grasp the call, the clarion call of transcendence. Also, the other day I remember someone asked, I think, Archon City about the nap, what to do with the nap. <laughs> and again, this is, has to be adjusted according to each case. But I think you may imagine that two excessive naps per day is not the most healthy thing in life. Mm -hmm. uh, it is said generally that if you sleep more than an hour during the day it creates a particular influence that you I mean again it will depend each case but as a general rule sometimes it's said that if you sleep more than an hour during the day if you have to enter I don't know the altar or cooking for the deities ideally you should have bath if you sleep again that period of time or more mm -hmm. maybe you can sleep 40 minutes 45 minutes Depending on the case, in my personal case, really every time, I, I practically never sleep during the day because I know how it affects me. Even if I sleep a little bit, I become really drowsy. And But each one will have their own particular uh, makeup, if you will. And necessities, of course. If that's a necessity, take the nap you need, for sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. So some of these advices are also recommended there. So, let's go to the waking up. And all this were mainly, was mainly connected to the sleeping moment, which is, again, crucial in connection to how we wake up. Ideally, how we project, again, everything, not again, not in a forced way, not in an erotic way, but in a very natural way, a nice, healthy way. Gradually, we should start to conceive all of the different moments of our day as seva. I'm not going to sleep. Hopefully, I'm going to render seva. In that particular form called sleep, hmm, the potential is there. I mean, we have the potential. Bhakti is so generous and so all-embracing that it has the potential to become part, if you will, of every single activity in my daily life, starting from the most ordinary ones, as Thomas Merton will say once. No? Your salvation starts in the most ordinary moments of your daily life. How you connect those moments 
with the most extraordinary thing. How the highest thing reaches down to the bottom, top, bottom, and from there purifies everything, if you will. So here we are speaking about uh, considerably ordinary things in general, sleeping and all the stuff going to the bathroom and so on, so on. But trying to connect that with bhakti, how to behave when sleeping, how to behave with going to the bathroom as a sadhaka. There's a way of doing that, of conducting ourselves even when entering to the bathroom. But again, not as a mechanical paranoia, but as a way of, in a very sensitive way, attracting further and further mercy. And we need that. At least, I need that. <laughs> so, after some considerations regarding uh, sleeping, let's go to the waking up, which is really crucially connected one to the other. So as I mentioned, ideally, whenever when when you wake up, first thing you do, hopefully, is not taking the cell phone and see how many likes you have in Instagram and so on. But try first of all, first thing you do is recommended in the scriptures. Remind, remember your guru, remember Sri Krishna, your Istadev, and pronounce some uh, glorification of them immediately after you wake up, like a way of immediately putting the day in context. It's very crucial what you do right after you wake up and right before you go to bed. Those things will really like put in context all the things that will happen in between. If you do that on a daily basis and you create a natural habit of that, you will see that that creates a very particular influence. So you can pronounce some prayers. There's not some specific one that you have to, but there are so many. So you may choose whatever prayer you may like, a verse or something that comes no, as a natural expression of your gratitude for a new day. And Krishna is giving me life, extending my life in this Sarakadeha. I'll live for one more day. Let's see tomorrow. So if I have this day, I will try to use that in the most possible way. So thank so much for such a gift, if you will. Hmm? So trying to start again, create that initial kick, kick start, if you will, some scar. Conceive myself as a servant. Generally, if we wake up and you just grab your cell phone to check which news are there, that won't help that much to conceive yourself as a servant. But on the contrary, that in a very subtle way that may create an impression of you are the master, you are the controller, you are the knower, you are the enjoyer or whatever. So first we can wake up, we can offer obeisances to our guru, to, to pronounce some glorification to the Vaishnavas, to Hari, Guru, Vaishnavas. But again, all this not in a Niyama-graha-like way, just imitating, just performing that mechanically, but trying to make some effort in trying to, again, proceed towards this idea of I conceive myself as a servant. That's the identity I want to uh, fully embrace from day to night, to, to give some orientation to my schedule from moment one. My, my cell phone will take my identity somewhere else, if you will, <laughs> generally. generally. So, some recommendation, that connection. For example, regarding when to wake up, of course, again, we mentioned each one will have different schedules and necessities, but if we want to mention what's ideally recommended in Shastra, for example, Hari Bhakti Vilas, uh, Sanatan Goswami's books on, in great part on Vaishnava etiquette he invokes the classical concept of 
Brahma Muhurta in this connection. So he will say one should rise early in the morning during the Brahma Muhurta. <clears throat> and then he says, in order to completely purify his existence, one should meditate on the lotus feet of his spiritual master as if they are placed upon his head, one's head. One should offer prayers to his spiritual master or her spiritual master and then remember Lord Krishna by reciting suitable slokas. Basically what I mentioned. But this is what Sanatana Goswami mentioned. I like the idea of you wake up and you meditate on the lotus feet of your guru on your head. That's the very pointed offering. Pranav, you you can offer, I think. I mean, I, I do that and, and that's really helpful. Just on, when I wake up, first thing, offering pranam to my Guru Maharaj, invoking his pranam mantra and offering pranam. Sometimes also it's recommended to to the rest of the parampara, at least still certain number of members. It may take quite a while to offer it. But to remember all these personalities is to invoke auspiciousness over and over again. So he, he mentions here this idea of Brahma Muhurta. So what's Brahma Muhurta for the ones who do not know? Uh, has to do with the period of the day in the morning, even before the sun uh, appears. It's one hour and 36 minutes, minutes sorry, before the sunrise. So the day is divided in this period, many muhurtas in this way. So Brahma Muhurta has to do with this moment. One hour and 36 minutes. It's not a fixed time because depending where you live in the world, sometimes if you live in Finland, I think the sun won't be appearing always at the same time along the year. So according to the, and another places, it will be a more fixed time. But the point is approximately an hour and a half before sunrise. That's a very special moment, a very mystical moment. Many things are saying in the scripture about that moment, the devas coming to earth and so on. But the very point here is, at that moment, the world world is still sleeping, at least around where you are living. On the other side of the world, it may be midday. But the point here, and I hope you get the gist of it, is the, the environment is resting and you are waking up. The world is not has not awakened with all its movement and all its influences that, like it or not, it creates some effect on most of us. So the sage, Krishna says that in the Gita, in the second chapter of the Gita, verse 69, he's saying this, you know, like what that thing that is the night, night for the wise is the day for the, uh, for the murka, for the full one. And the day, and the night of the, when, when the, an unwise person goes to sleep, that's the day of the sage. Like, of course, you can take this verse in many levels, on the three main levels, usually. Literal, interpretative, and esoteric. From a literal meaning, it means an unwise person is just going to the discotheque at night, if you will. <laughs> Go to the great him herself at that time, when the wise is waking up in Brahmohurta, if you will. On an interpreted level, it means... The day and the night means to what I am awakened to and to what I am sleeping to, to what I am attentive to, to what I am distracted to. to. So what is day, what is brightness for a wise is darkness for the unwise and vice versa. And of course in a more esoteric way we can even take that to, but that may be too much, to the Brajalila and the Madhurya Rati of the Gopis. 
and how for many in Vrindavan the day is starting and lots of auspicious omens are there for, for the gopis, for Sri Radha, her associates, close intimate servants. That's not very auspicious at that moment because that implies Radha and Krishna who have been together all night has to be have to be separated now. So lots of pain, of course. It's auspicious in another sense. It's, it's fully nourishing rasa and, and creating vipralamba in order to increase the joy of some bog of union. But as one Maguru must say, for Sadaka, Mongolartic and, and Brahma Muhurt is very auspicious moment of the day. For the Siddha, like this example, is not that auspicious. Oh, a day is coming, the sun is coming, Rasa Lila is over, whatever. <laughs> of course, in the, it, at the end, it's, it's all auspicious, but it takes a particular form in the Siddha platform, if you will. So Brahma Muhurta has to do with this, no? a special moment in the day where it's a prominent influence, I will say, of sattva are, are, are really, and also will open to the Bisuddha sattva influence at that moment of the day. Then there will come the morning, sun rising, it's sattvic, midday, it will be rajasic, and night will be tamasic, as we mentioned. So there is some influence in the environment, and, and I'm sure if you are able to wake early in the morning having good resting, and you, you have your sadhana, your chanting, your practice, in the morning, you will feel the difference along the day. And that's a very important thing there, that you try to do a good part of your sadhana in the beginning of your day, as much as it's possible again. If you can organize yourself and choose that, Brahma Muhurta and this morning time is really what will determine in great part how the rest of the day will be conducted. So we will speak about that further when we... Uh, approach the different practices hmm, of sadhana and so on. So, there are more things to share. Let me share some few more ideas and I think we will have to continue speaking on this topic on our next meeting. Hmm. So ideally, if you are sleeping, hmm, of course, this may take different forms if you are sleeping, living in an ashram, uh, monastic ashram, I mean, and you may be, I don't know, in my case, I remember living as a brahmachari for for sections and yes, like for ten years, and we were sleeping in on the floor. We have some mattress, some mat, yoga mat, and some something to sleep on. Uh, but when we woke up, we will put that out, and the whole room will become something else, if you will. <laughs> there were no beds or stuff like that. No. So the point is, if you are in such a situation, it's obvious that whenever you wake up, you will put all this stuff somewhere else, and you will. Clean the place, if you will. Leave it clean. Of course, if you are living with the, you have a bed in your room and whatever, uh, you don't have to hide the bed somewhere. <laughs> but at least you should have some order in the room and some cleanliness as much as is possible. Because again, all the things have to do with the gunas, mm-hmm. um, and they may affect us somehow or other. Mm-hmm. So, what follows generally is you wake up and. After doing these initial hmm, rites, if you will, invoking some prayers, offering pranam, and so on, generally going to the bathroom is what follows, hmm, and eventually having a shower and so on. In my personal case, and, and I know that there are many Vaishnavs who also do that, and of course I've learned that from them, uh, I do not necessarily always, or almost never, uh, go right immediately to the shower after I wake up but what I do is 
immediately after I wake up, I chant some rounds. Of course, between waking up and chanting some rounds, I go to the bathroom <laughs> for a minute. I wash my hands, I wash my mouth, I wash my face, and I chant before I'm having shower. I chant some, some rounds, four rounds, six rounds, eight rounds. Then I have shower and, and I continue chanting and other, other things that I w we will continue speaking. So that's also an interesting practice that I have adopted last year or so. That is interesting because, again, it's just waking up and almost the very first thing you're doing is you're chanting. So that creates some interesting bhakti, some scars and some interesting effect for the rest of the day. Again, the very first thing we do when we wake up and also in connection to the rest of the day will be conducted. But again, between waking up and chanting, in my case, or in the case of those who do that, yes, you go to the bathroom, generally you may need to go and pass urine or stool, depending on the case, or but at least washing your hands, because you will touch japa mala, worship your teeth, your mouth, washing your face a little bit, because you have just awakened, you need some... Hmm? some awakening process, if you will, <laughs> because you're going to just take the malika being 100% contaminated, if you will, in the sense of without any type of cleanliness in between. So at least you can have that basic cleanliness if you want to chant a little bit. And after that, uh, yes, one can go to the bathroom and all the different duties, waiting for one there and eventually shower, but all the things, we will speak about that as well as well as what follows that, like Tilak and Achaman and so on. But I think I'm almost uh, in time, so I wouldn't like to uh, overextend myself. But let's share some brief words regarding the bathroom. Hmm. Some words regarding the bathroom before the shower. I will finish today's lecture just right about to enter shower, if you will. So, okay, so once entering ba the bathroom, hmm, so... Once, of course, may pass in urine or stool, whatever. After urinating, not only in the morning, at every moment of the day, ideally, you should always wash your mouth and your hands. And that's like basic cleanliness. That I would say that because, at least if you have never learned those things from the Vaishnava tradition, probably you, you are not accustomed to do that. that. That happens so many times. I notice that when I'm in an airport or something and have to go to the bathroom... <laughs> And after that, of course, I'm going to to wash my hands. Of course, that's, that's already a unique experience, mostly for the rest of the people, because not only seeing me with this clothes, but in my case, having the upavita, you know, having here on my right ear, which has to do it to say in the right ear, the sacred rivers are passing. So by having the upavita, the thread on there, the thread is not contaminated, but whatever you do in the bathroom. But you can imagine people take take some look to, to what's going hanging out on my <laughs> on my right ear. So that's another thing to consider. If you are using Upavita, in case you are not, of course, you don't have to, to, to think about that. But yes, you should wash your hands. You should wash your mouth when you are passing a stool, which is considered, if you will, a little bit more, um, again, using this word, more contaminating practice. <laughs> Ideally, it is recommended you should have bath or at least you should wash your hands, you should wash your mouth, you should wash, in this case, ideally, 
your face, your feet, and your private parts. Mm. Okay, as much as you can apply all these, but at least some basic uh, foundation of cleanliness. It's important because, again, there are substances that are coming out from the body, and this creates certain influence. Mm. Basically, it has to do with that, maybe with many things that we are not even able to see with our eyes, but may create certain influence of a particular guna that by invoking that level of cleanliness, we won't be affected by that. Hmm? For example, if you're passing this tool, also if you're uh, cleaning yourself after that, your private parts with water, hmm? some people in Western world use paper, but it's not that of a clean, if you analyze, it's not that clean of a clean practice, you cannot clean yourself that much as if you are using water. So in case you are using water, um, ideally you should use your left hand hmm, for washing your private parts. Generally the left hand is is conceived for all the things, for washing uh, the body and so on. And, and ideally this, the, the left hand is more, more mostly conceived for giving or receiving uh, sacred items hmm, like prasad, taking the Malika, the Japa Mala, taking Shastra, all those things should be done with the right hand, ideally. And, and one should receive those things with the right hand. And left hand is main, mainly uh, conceived for cleaning the body and so on. Of course, if you are living in, with other people, most of us are doing, whether you are monastic or not, so it's not only your bathroom, <laughs> So ideally, and even if you live by yourself, you should try to maintain a level of cleanliness, especially in the bathroom, which is an area that easily gets dirty, if you will, or contaminated. So you should leave the bathroom as clean as it was when you enter, or even more. I remember once I was in a visiting one temple in Chile, it was like 15 years ago or so, and I entered the bathroom, and there was one sign there. So it say like, if you see untidiness in this room, Krishna is showing that to you, and he wants you to to put that in order. <laughs> and of course, you can imagine you 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 had a look to the room, and it was not very tidy. So maybe it was an they put that sign in a strategic way, strategic way. <laughs> but the point was. If you look something is dirty and you see that, it's because Krishna is wanting you to do something with that, to take responsibility for that. That's a nice way of conceiving. Of course, not maybe not necessarily you will be have the time of, of of doing that at that moment, but it's a nice way to really, especially if you go to the bathroom. And again, we it's not that we have an obsession with cleanliness, or, or we can say a healthy obsession in that case. Srila Prabhupada would say that cleanliness is the closest thing to divinity. So it's, it's, it's like a way of, again, getting closer to the idea of purity, even if you begin from the grossest level. Body, bathroom, and blah, blah, blah. But all that creates a particular environment that helps you to enter into higher and more subtle levels of cleanliness, if you will. And I'm giving here a very general and hopefully user-friendly approach to it. If you go to Hari Bhakti Vilas and, and really go through all the different rules and details about cleanliness, that can be too much for most. <laughs> and of course, many of those things have to do mainly with a particular time and social system and culture and relative details that 
can and are to be adjusted to our present time. But you will find, yes, like, I don't know, in, regarding washing different parts of the body, Hari Bhakti Bilas speaks about doing that many times per day, but many times per day, and, and, and a strong emphasis on socha, on this cleanliness. Mm -hmm. See, Yoga Sutras also speak that about in, in their Jama Niyamas, socha, mm -hmm. like cleanliness. It's important. And that has to do not only, of course, with mind being clear, and, and, but body mm -hmm. and so on. So Hari Bhakti Bilas would say those things that Grihastha has to clean the, the, this and this in this part of the body, this and this time of the day. Brahmachari has to do that two times more and Sanyasi has to do that four times more. And of course, if you play that out, it, it, it implies that you may be spending like half your day in the bathroom. <laughs> but the point is, they want to try to go to the point here. That is, purity and cleanliness, that will help. That will help. So again, we, bathroom should be a clean place, ideally the floor and the different parts of the bathroom should be cleaned regularly. Mm. The door of the bathroom should always ideally remain closed. Mm. And needless to say, but I will say it nonetheless, we should not uh, introduce or enter into the bathroom with sacred items. Mm. For example, we shouldn't enter to the bathroom with our Japa Mala. We shouldn't enter to the bathroom with sacred books, Shastra. We should not enter to the bathroom even with these like Harinam chadars like sometimes devotees say have that it contain the holy names there written. You should not enter them to the bathroom. You should not enter ideally to the bathroom with tilak. I mean, you can have tilak in your face, but not with tilak bar and put tilak in the bathroom. Ideally, that should be done outside, as we will speak next lecture about tilak. Uh, we should not enter with any sacred item, ideally, to the bathroom. Even if you have, I don't know, ideally, again, and, and all this help is for us to help to conceive the sacredness of the things. And we are not entering there to the bathroom. Even if you have a t-shirt or something that has spiritual motives, ideally, the spiritual illustration, that shouldn't be entering to the bathroom. And of course, I don't want to go to extremes, but again, try to get my point. I remember always this nice uh, story of Srila Bhakti Pramod Puri Maharaj when he was in in Jagannath Puri, mm -hmm. uh, I think so. And, and he was again, like almost 100, and year, 100 years old. And at one point, one devotee went there to to to, to have his darshan, no? And this devotee was having this like very nice t-shirts of, I don't know, Jagannath. I think it was Jagannath. He was in Puri. So all Jagannath, like round symbol and faces, Jagannath in the t-shirt. And when Srila Puri Maharaj saw the devotee, he, not, he did not only saw the devotee, he saw Jagannath <laughs> coming to him. So he immediately tried to wake up. He was 100 year old, old and trying to go to the floor and offer it Danda, but... Hmm, to Jagannath. For him, it was not just a t-shirt with an, a cool design. It was Bhagavan himself. Mm. So my point is, sometimes we may not, of course we are not Srila Puri Maharaj and we can imitate him, but it's nice to get the idea behind this, this situation. Because sometimes we may have this devotional uh, illustrations everywhere, in our Malika, in our clothes, and sometimes we we may have a t-shirt of Jagannath, but we take it out and we throw, I don't know where, <laughs> and Jagannath is there. 
Maybe if you watch that in the machine, no, the machine. I mean, again, I don't want you to get neurotic or to throw all those t-shirts if you have those, <laughs> but at least to 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 understand the point behind this. Beyond entering the bathroom, all this stuff, no, how to deal with sacred items, how to deal with everything that resembles us, that that makes us remember our beloved. My Guru Maharaj always quotes, and with this I'm finishing this this line of the Brihad Bhagavatamrita that he once told me. I, I consider this line like the Paribas Sutra of the Brihad Bhagavatamrita, which says, and he uses to sign his emails or letters with this Gadopakari Smriti Apriyanam. Gadopakari Smriti Apriyanam, which is, it has to do with in the moment when Krishna, well, it's a long thing to story to tell, to give context. But Krishna is basically fainting in ecstasy in separation from the Brajabasis. And at one point, Narad Muni says, excuse me for having invoked those uh, those remindings in you. Krishna at that point was out of Vrindavan in the narrative. So Narad Muni was sorry by seeing Krishna experiencing, going through like like what it seemed like epileptic scissors or something. <laughs> in the context of experiencing separation and so on. So Naramun is asking forgiveness from Krishna. So he says, sorry, excuse me for having thrown you into the into a pool of, of separation. And Krishna says this line, Gadopukarismritiapriana, which means uh, the be one's best friend is that person who reminds one of one's beloved. Mm -hmm. So of course, this is especially connected and applicable to great personality sadhus who really embody this reminding in us. But I will extend that idea to those elements or images and items that somehow or other are there to act as Udipana or stimulant that are reminding us about our Ishtadev. There are some images, some designs. So again, there is a way to to deal with them. So ideally, regarding going back to the point, the bathroom. We should not introduce them, put them inside the bathroom. So some ideas today. There's more things to share. We will continue speaking about bathing ourselves and washing, brushing teeth and doing Achaman and Tilak. But I think we will leave that for our next lecture. So we can also have some, some extra minutes in case that anyone may have some question in this connection. So I will... Allow for the option of unmuting in case anyone would like to present any question. The option is already available. So, are there any questions? Marash, I have a. I have a question. There is some echo there. My question is so, Lord Chaitanya was trying to hold his tongue in the bathroom and not chat because <laughs> you know the story. So so Gopal Guru, little boy, told him that it was gave him permission to do that. So the holy name is not different than these sacred items and so can you make I mean it, yeah, just make a comment about Mm -hmm. Well, I will say that regarding Harinam and chanting Harinam, especially particular Harinam, 
we could say there is this special concession that Mahaprabhu is given. He says like, There are no hard, fast rules to, to chant Harinam. Of course, that's in a general way, because as I mentioned, we are not to, to enter the bathroom with our Japa Mala and chant our Japa in the shower, for example. People like to chant to sing in the shower. <laughs> But you, you should not chant your japa in the shower. But you can chant, you can chant kirtan in the shower. That's that's you can invoke Harinam. This example, thanks for sharing it uh, from Gopal, Gopal Guru. Mahaprabhu eventually say, "Oh, you are my guru." So your name is Gopal Guru by having instructed me in this way. So Mahaprabhu wanted to make a point, and of course, a further point was made on top of that. So Mahaprabhu wanted to make this point of. You enter the bathroom, be careful how you behave that, and especially in connection to sacred items. And when he was trying not to chant Harinam, and, and it was difficult for him to stop doing so, so that's already a point there. Gopal <laughs> um, Guru said, <clears throat> okay, yeah, but the sacredness of Sri Harinam is such, if you will, in this particular age, and especially coming from you, Mahaprabhu, that you can chant Harinam, not in Japa format, but you can engage in Kirtan hmm, in such a way that there are no hard or fast rules for that. So the sacredness of Harinams overrides the contaminatedness, if you will, <laughs> of a place like the bathroom in this particular case. But that's, that is not so for any other, for other mantras. For example, <clears throat> you are not expected to chant your Diksha Mantras, Gayatri, for example, in the bathroom and so on. But you can chant Harinam. And you can, of course, invoke... Uh, that's a way of also conceiving, of course. This is a... Con if you will, if you want to think of the bathroom as a contaminated place, you also like to, to be protected from any possible contamination in that contaminated place. So a good way of doing so is to invoke uh, Harinam. <coughs> And even while, while having your shower, if you will, you can do kirtan. I, I like to do so. To do kirtan or, I, or generally or, where I hear some harikata, loud volume, or I, or I chant some series of prayers like the Gopi Gita or some other series of verses from the Bhagavad that I may, I may know. Uh, I like to invoke them when we're, we're having the shower. We are not yet in the, in the shower moment, but I'm giving some trailer for that. So I will say, yeah. With Harinam in the form of Kirtan, which is again the Juga Dharma, and it's, there is a special concession, there is a special dispensation, a special grace, special empowerment. So we can embrace from that direction, from that connection. But these other formats of ways of conducting ourselves in the bathroom, again, it, it has to do with with increasing our appreciation of what we are doing. Now, we have also the famous example of Gorky Shortas Babaji was chanting in one bathroom. He hid himself in a bathroom chanting Japa. And you may say, you won't go to Gokishore and say, you cannot enter into the bathroom with Japa. He was not into a bathroom. He was somewhere else. <laughs> but as much as we still think I'm entering into the bathroom, so there you should have some consideration. Whenever you are absorbing another level and you are forgotten that you are going to the bathroom, that's another thing. <laughs> so yeah, for, for that particular expression of Harinam, we have that... Uh, through that lila that you are sharing this special concession, as well as reciting pranam and glorification and, chin, and chanting verses. You, we can do that in that format. You, you won't enter with the book to the bathroom and so on. 
So something something else I hope that helps. Maharaj, um yes. I just wanted to tell a story. Maharaj, Maharaj, yes. Um yeah, I just wanted to tell a story that one time when I went to see Prabhupada, um his I was uh, we were the Sankatan Bodhis, um we well we went into the bathhouse because we we just wanted, I, I can't remember if we ate prasadam or if we just passed urine, but his uh, sister was in there, Pishima, and we were washing our hands, and she looked at, the, she kept pointing to the ground when she was looking at me, and I was like, I didn't know what, she didn't speak English, but I didn't know what she was doing, and I just started to walk out, and, and then she would pull my arm back, and I couldn't go. And then she just kept pointing to the ground, and I was like, you know, I would, I didn't know what she was saying. I just kept like, I don't know. And then I'd walk out, and she'd pull me back in. <laughs> and finally, I got it. I'm supposed to wash my feet. So I washed my feet, and then she let me go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the the washing yeah. the yeah, washing of the feet in in India, especially everywhere, but in India, especially emphasized since I, I think most of the people go barefoot more often than any anyone else in other parts of the world, if you will. So in many places, if you are to enter into a temple, even for example, first you have to wash wash your feet. Not even even beyond our own tradition. So again, the implication is you are. Uh, and, and again, also regarding the bathroom, sometimes that's an extension of washing your hands, washing your feet. Of course, if you are in a particular situation, it's impractical, it's difficult. At least you should wash your hands, your mouth, hmm, if you are going to the bathroom. So there are nuanced varieties of this according to time, place, circumstance, culture, and different uh, standards of that even in, in India and even in Gaudiya Vaishnavism according to each particular mission. <laughs> They will have some uh, special stress in this or in that, so it's important again not to go not to go neurotic with this, but to 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 enter in contact with the sensibility of that. You no, know? like trying to to maintain this idea of cleanliness, of purity, but that 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 may take different forms, such as the one you have shared, which is of course I don't think it's anything too extreme, if you will, and not that impossible as compared compared to other. Recommendations that, as we will share, may seem a little bit more difficult or impractical, especially if you are living in the Western society and with certain dynamics in, in the family and the world. So one should again learn how to take the principle of that, and and and, and the details can be accommodated according to each one's situation. But thanks for sharing the story. Very nice, Pishima Ki Jai. So, something else before finishing? Any other question? Maharaj, uh, I would have two questions. Okay, yes, why not? Um, you mentioned that we shouldn't naturally chant our japa in the bathroom, but what about the bed? I've heard that the bed is tamasic since we sleep in it. Uh, is it okay to sit on the bed and chant? Not lying down, but sitting on the bed. <laughs> Uh, well, personally, I will, will I will prefer not to do so. When I when I mentioned that I chant just right right after I wake up, I, I didn't mean to see that I do that on my bed. But actually, I, I I mean I don't say that you imply that also. But 
um, I wake up, I go to the bathroom and I sit somewhere else in an asana or something. So, again, these are degrees. It's not black or white. It's not that, oh no, if you chanted Japa in the bed, your rounds were not worthy at all. There was no effect. Everything was totally temasic. I'm not saying that. Uh, but it can have some effect if you are just seated, sit, you are sit yourself in that place where you are sleeping and some vibrations are there, if you will, <laughs> not to go mad. But if you can, I would, I would recommend that if you can choose, if you can have the possibility of having some other place to sit apart from your bed, you can do so in some asana and so on. Uh, if because of circumstances that's the only place you have, maybe you can put some some cloth above where you were sleeping and you can sit on that. Again, there are there are details, but but yes, you will be you will be able by common sense to perceive if that's creating some particular influence in one direction or another or not. But I think if you wake up, you go to the bathroom, clear yourself, but you go back to the bed and you just wrap yourself with all the Mm, the different like yeah, items you were using for for sleeping, mm, for example, the, the yeah, all this stuff like sheets and so on that will create some effect. So maybe you can sit in some other place mm, next to the room, next to the bed, but some other place, some asana, uh, or if not, you can have some cloth there. Mm. Second question. Thank you, Maharaj. My second question was that you mentioned that there are many different verses or mantras that we could say, recite first thing in the morning when we wake up, but could you give some examples of what kind of mantras or verses would be suitable for this? Well, generally, there these are verses con connected to offering pranam, to offering our obeisances. For example, in my personal case, I wake up and I recite the pranam mantra. Of, of our Guru Maharaj in, in, in his while offering pranam to him then I offer pranam to the rest of the parampara hmm? uh, Prabhupada Chila Siddhar Maharaj and Prabhupada Bhakti Siddhanta Gorkishore Babaji Bhakti Nautakur and so on with reciting the the, gener the most generic mantra Banchakal Patarubhyasya and so on and offering pranam to other Vaishnavas then I offer pranam to the Sadgu, to the six Goswamis, Bandarupa, Sanat, and Bhatta, Raghunasri, Jeeva, Gopal, Bhatta. Then I recite Panchatattva Mantra, they I recite Maha Mantra. This is some way of addressing Panchatattva and Radha Krishna, if you will. Of course, again, there are many pranams. You can recite pranam mantras to Krishna, Hey Krishna, Karuna, Sindhu, or to Sri Radha, Tapta, Kanchana, Gauranga, or to Mahaprabhu, Namo Mahabhadanya, Namo Brahmanya, Devaya, all these pranam mantras that are there for each one. But again, it has to do with uh, one's intention and one's focus, but that's an example. But I don't want, last thing I want is just like to, make you feel this is how this should be done and you have to do like I'm doing nothing like that, please. <laughs> but just sharing some ideas about how you can start your day to refine your guru hmm, by some of the classical mantras or maybe if you don't know any mantra, at least, again, the important thing here is that you are in, your heart is in the proper place well, while offering that particular prayer. You may feel some special inspiration to offer some particular prayer of glorification, but generally that's that will be, you know, you can pr offer pranam to Guru, Vaishnavas, mm, 
Mahaprabhu, Nityananda Prabhu, Panchatato, whatever, Radha Krishna, Krishna Balaram, depending on the case. So we know there are main pranam mantras to, for them, so one can offer that as one feels that inspiration. Okay. Sumati has something. Okay, let's go with Sumati. Last last question, I think, for today. And if, if in case there, there are mo more questions, we can save them for for the next meeting. Tell me, Sumati. A question. It's um, in relation to what you were saying about taking sacred things into the bathroom, and I just want to share a little story. When um, when I was in the Boston Temple, and Prabhupada had come there, and um, <clears throat> There were some. There was a man's bathroom on one side of the hall, and a lady's bathroom on the other side of the hall, and uh, some hooks in this on the wall between the two bathrooms. So devotees would hang their japa beads. Usually they're bead bags, but sometimes just their beads on those hooks before going in the bathroom. And so Prabhupada saw some beads hanging, not in a bead bag, just loose Japa beads hanging on the hook. And there were actually tears in his eyes. And he was saying to the some brahmacharis that were near him, whose beads are these? He said, these beads are crying. Hmm. He said, your Japa beads should always be either around your neck or in a bead bag um, close to your heart. Jai, thanks for sharing. For for sure, you don't want Prabhupada to shed tears. <laughs> so that's a nice story, and of course, I plan to share some uh, some details about how to conduct ourselves with the beats and so on when we will speak more in detail about uh, japa and chanting japa and chanting diksha mantras. But of course, this is also in connection to the bathroom chapter, so that was really <laughs> accurate. So. Yeah, that's also a nice way of, 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 of to, again, and, and not to go uh, paranoid, but just to get the sensitivity of, if you have a feeling for these sacred items, Tulsi Maharani and the Japa beads, and how you will relate to that. That's the, That should be the dearest things in your life. So you will call them in a very special way, with a special care, and, and have a special place for them. As you have the deity in the altar, and not just thrown there, if you will. <laughs> so many things in our daily lives are like deity-likes, if you will. You know, the Shastra and the Japamala. So they should be treated accordingly, basically. That, that's the main idea. You know, that all these rules and regulations are there to foster a proper uh, awareness and orientation and appreciation of the sacredness of, of, of everything that surrounds our life as sadhakas. You know, and that will, in turn, promote love, rules promoting love properly, hopefully. So thank you very much to all of you today for your time. Hope this was some interesting discussion and if there are any further, again, questions or doubts, please save them for next meeting. In this case, again, next meeting will be on Friday again because on Thursday we have Srinityananda Triodasi, so we will have lecture uh, from my Guru Maharaj in the morning. So in the morning at least, depending where you are. But uh, So next lecture will be on Friday, just only for this next time. And, uh, and after that, we will continue again with Mondays and Thursdays. So thank you very much. Srila Gurudev Ki Jai, Sriman Mahaprabhu Ki Jai, Sri Harinam Sankirtan Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrind Ki Jai, 
गोड प्रमाण हरिभो